0: On July eleventh, two 2008, at about 5.45 in the evening, during an hour of Eucharistic Adoration in her community's chapel, the 68-year-old French Franciscan sister, Sister Bernadette Mariau, decided to get up and walk around. Now, people have different sensitivities about posture and distractions during Adoration, but this was not simply a religious trying to stay awake or distracting her sisters. For over 30 years, Sister Bernadette had suffered debilitating pain that first prevented her from practicing as a nurse and progressed into neurological problems that left her wheelchair bound with a spinal neurotransmitter, uh, a, a persistent prescription for morphine, sphincter dysfunction, a rigid cervical lumbar corset that she always wore, and finally, an equinous contracture of her left foot that required a permanent split. Uh, preventing her from being able to walk and and leaving her in a wheelchair for decades. According to Sister Bernadette, she was at that moment reflecting on a blessing of the sick that she had received on her trips to the Marian Shrine at Lourdes a few days before. At that that very time of day, the, the daily Eucharistic procession was taking place. She recalls feeling an unusual feeling of calm and warmth spreading throughout her body and an inner voice asked her to remove all of her medical aids and splints. Her foot had returned to its normal position and was mobile for the first time in in years, and she was immediately able to stand up and walk around with no pain. She stopped taking her neurotransferosimulation and pain medication without any of the usual withdrawal from any of these medications. Over the next few years, she underwent numerous medical examinations, and her case was reviewed by by many medical professionals, both believers and non-believers alike, uh, and was discussed at three separate meetings of the International Medical Commission of Lords in 2009, 2013, and 2016. On November 18th of 2016, the commission declared that the unforeseen, instantaneous, complete, and lasting healing of Sister Bernadette was an unexplained healing within our current limits of scientific knowledge. On February 11th, The bishop of her diocese uh, in uh, February 11th of the next year, 2017, the bishop of her diocese in Beauvais, France, declared the healing to be of a miraculous nature, a divine sign obtained through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of Lords. Her cure and the 69 other cures that have been proclaimed miraculous. Uh, related to the the Shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes began as simply one more of more than 7,000 cures that have been reported to this medical bureau at the Sanctuary of Lourdes since the mid-19th century. Uh, While all of these thousands of cases are marvelous each in their own way, only this small fraction survived the many stages of extensive investigation, both medical and ecclesial so as to eventually be considered unexplained, according to current scientific knowledge by the Lord's International Medical Committee, and finally pronounced miraculous by the Bishop of the Creer Pilgrim. It might seem incongruous to many common conceptions of the relationship between faith and science that a site of religious pilgrimage would have a dedicated medical bureau with a procedure for the scientific study of purportedly miraculous cures. Really, it's perfectly reasonable. St. Thomas Aquinas defines a miracle following the traditions of the, the Church and the Fathers as an event that happens by divine power outside the known order of natural causes. But the very notion of such an event is absurd for some. It seems odd, in a certain sense, to reject such a possibility a priori when science is supposed to be led by what we observe and find in the world. It is a commonly accepted presumption for many that religious belief is dogmatic and constrains us to a rigid, irrational framework, while science is open to whatever we can discover through experiment and empirical empirical investigation. Of course, in a certain sense, it is true that Christianity is a restrictive worldview, but no more so than the materialist atheism that many assume must be the basis of modern science. As G.K. Chesterton says in his book, Orthodoxy, the Christian cannot think Christianity false and continue to be a Christian, and the atheist cannot think atheism false and continue to be an atheist. But he goes on to note that there is a further sense in which the common opinion gets it backwards. The Christian is quite free to believe that there is a considerable amount of settled order and inevitable development in the universe. But the materialist is not allowed to admit into his spotless machine the slightest speck of spiritualism or miracle. Christianity, like any particular worldview, must be restrictive in order to signify anything. An affirmation logically uh, implies uh, a negation of its opposite. But it is, in fact, less restrictive than the materialism that supposedly frees us to think rationally. The Christian is perfectly able to apply his reason to whatever he pleases, whether material or not. When I work through some differential equation or learn about some new physical theory, I'm not taken aback or annoyed because I do not detect the operation of spiritual or immaterial forces. While I believe in a spiritual order of being, I do not demand that it show itself in my study of physics, nor am I disappointed when it does not. This, too, Chesterton summed up nicely, using the doctrine of immortality as an example. Spiritual doctrines do not actually limit the mind as do materialistic denials. Even if I believe in immortality, I need not think about it. But if I disbelieve in immortality, I must not think about it. In the first case, the road is open. I can go as far as I like. In the second, the road is shut. For materialists, our ever-growing understanding of the universe seems to reveal a tightly woven network of scientific laws that govern all of reality, leaving, to their eyes, no room for and no evidence of exceptions. The fear is that allowing even one true miracle would ruin the very order and structure that science is built upon. There is no room for the miraculous in this worldview, so many will not even consider the possibility. Some Christians, impressed or intimidated perhaps by the the power and advances of science, take the exceptionless character of scientific explanation for granted and they restrict the idea of miracles to personal transformation and conversion or perhaps try to find some small space for physical miracles between the fuzzy lines of quantum well it is certainly true that the miraculous that miraculous events can be involved in personal conversion and that any conversion is beyond any beyond natural power it is often arguably simply just god god's grace working through many natural causes Uh, in, in conjunction with many natural causes, including the natural power of our free will. Further, God absolutely can work through the seeming confusion of quantum mechanics and quantum systems, but this would more properly be a part of his universal providence, working through, not contrary to nature. These redefinitions in concession to science strip the very idea of the miraculous, of its depth and its power. In truth, there need not be a conflict between the scientific order and the miraculous when both are properly understood. Moreover, when the possibility of both is is affirmed, I would argue that they provide a richer and more marvelous picture of reality. And further, that the reality of miracles can be of a great benefit to the project of modern science, and that the existence of modern science is a great benefit to our understanding of miracles. Consider the relationship of miracles to the scientific order uh, in in that there is an obvious fact that we need to know something of what normally occurs in nature in order to recognize when something marvelous has happened. So the better we understand the natural order, the easier it is and the more accurately we'll be, be able to identify the truly miraculous. Now, this is still very difficult because miracles tend to be one-off events and the details around them can all can be confusing or fuzzy. In fact, the Catholic Church has set up a fairly stringent set of guidelines for the sorts of events that it is willing to officially declare miraculous. The particulars of the process have changed over time, but broadly speaking, a cure must be complete and permanent from some serious illness which is incurable by medical means, and the cure must be sudden or instantaneous. Of course, this is not to say that if something falls short of these stringent standards, it is simply normal or mundane, Uh, but it is the Church's way of setting a standard, and a very high one at that, before it it will publicly affirm that an extraordinary or miraculous cure has happened. Further, the Church is not saying that only healings can be miraculous, but it simply is the case that it's much easier to study and attest to miraculous healings due to the broad availability of medical records and the witness of doctors and the fact that the person who is cured is there to witness to it, and, and, and their, their health is a, itself is a, is a part of that witness. There are certainly cases of other cures that I would argue, are clearly miraculous, but did not quite meet the standards set forth by the church, perhaps not as lasting or as permanent, or simply maybe not even reported for uh, or reviewed for, for various reasons. So of, even though only 70 of those miracles from lords have been officially declared miraculous, that's not to say the other 7,000 were uh, hoaxes or lies. It simply means that they, they may well have been miraculous, but not up to the standard the church decided to set. On the other hand, uh, and with these caveats and details, it's also important to understand that, oh, sorry, uh, and then there are also certainly cases of other kinds of events that are not pure, of uh, miraculous events that are not pure. Eyewitness accounts of very clearly miraculous events but that do not leave any sort of lasting record or reviewable history that can be gone over and attested to in the way that medical healings can. With these caveats and details, it's also important to understand that the normal working of nature is able to, uh, um, well, the, the, it is important to understand that the normal workings of nature uh, to, to be able to understand correctly and identify miracles correct, cor- uh, correctly from simply ordinary or coincidental or just broadly providential aspects of life. But on the other hand, the existence of miracles if they, uh, given, the, uh, given the fact that miracles happen, by definition, this makes a necessary limit to the power of what science, as the study of natural powers, uh, is able to explain in the, in the world, that there are at least some events that are not, do not fit into the paradigm of modern science. But there is more to the relationship between science and the miraculous than defining mutual limits. Science tells you when you know you've hit a miracle and the existence of miracles tells you that science can't explain everything. I would argue that there is more to this relationship than simply cordoning off proper realms. The order and structure that scientists find in nature does not simply prevent these sort of false positives. It also allows for a new level of wonder and reflection about the miraculous events that we might be blessed enough to encounter or... To, to reflect upon the uh, more, a deeper appreciation of miracles attested to in the past, especially those in Scripture. St. Thomas lays out a number of ways that you could classify miracles, almost even rank them, based on the relationship to the natural order. And he does not hesitate to speculate on the process by which certain miraculous effects were actually brought about. Now, the primary division that Aquinas introduces to classify miracles is roughly based on how badly they violate the normal order of nature. At the highest level are things that nature is in no way able to bring about on its own. Not all of his examples hold up in a contemporary context, but he includes the idea of two physical bodies being in the exact same place at the exact same time and the glorification of, the, of a human body. Uh, uh, such as Christ after the resurrection, being incorruptible, and uh, and, and, and uh, uh, having various glorified powers. At the next lowest level are things that nature could do in principle, and does do, but could never do in the way that they actually happened in this particular case. For instance, nature is able to bring about new living things, to make life. But nature cannot directly make a dead thing alive again. Nature can produce sight, produce living things that are able to see, but it cannot restore the blind, to restore sight to someone who has lost their sight of, uh, due to blindness, particularly uh, damage to the eyes. So there are ways in which na- uh, these are aspects of nature that nature could do in principle, but in these particular cases, in these particular m- miraculous events, uh, uh, they're done in a way outside the normal pattern that nature flows, the normal order of which nature works. Finally, he says that there's a, there are things that nature could do, and even roughly uh, occur in the way that nature does do them, but not with the speed or the measure with which they happen in this event, as when someone who is sick is suddenly cured without treatment. It does happen at times that someone with uh, a fever or certain ailments just gets better over time. But when we find that that recovery happening instantaneously and quickly uh, in a way that is uh, much faster and and and, and, and unexpected, uh, th- this is a sign that something miraculous is happening. Uh, nature can, uh, um, or when, for instance, you know, uh, rain starts to immediately appear out of the air as a result of prayer. Rain is a natural phenomenon, and yet when it goes from being a clear day to a rainy day at the result of some uh, of, of a prayer, there is a sign that perhaps some mir- something miraculous happened. He further explicitly states that there can be further variations of degree within these various categories. Now, while it is possible to argue about the value of some of Aquinas' examples, and even whether there might be better divisions, whether you might want to rearrange them or order them differently or add different caveats, the point I want to make is that while miracles will always be mysterious and in some way inaccessible, Uh, the actions of God are are beyond our understanding uh, in, in, in totality, But simply recognizing something as as miraculous need not be the end of our reflection and wonder at it. It is reasonable and even fitting to contemplate the manifold ways that God can and has transcended the normal order as it is uh, to contemplate and wonder the the normal functioning of nature. There is even a place in our pious reflection for speculating on and contemplating the details with which various miracles of today or of the past might have occurred. Well, the normal, natural, testable order will not explain everything, there is a beauty and even some enjoyment, at least for me, in reflecting on just how God might have tweaked the natural order to bring about the particular uh, miraculous effect that, uh, that, that happened. This is all speculative and and, uh, and not demonstrative or certain, and yet there is a beauty in this kind of reflection. For example, at various points in his work, Aquinas deals with the question of the multiplication of loaves and fishes by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel. He is clear that this was a miraculous event, accomplished by the second person of the uh, Blessed Trinity, But in principle, there are various ways that this loaves could have come to be there. It is perfectly within the divine power to simply create bread out of nothing. But Aquinas argues that this would have been unfitting and would not really have been a multiplication of the loaves as the gospel attests. In a certain sense, God is doing more than he needs to in, uh, in creating something out of nothing, when he could just rearrange the matter that's already there. Rather, he argues that the five loaves and two fishes were uh, miraculously multiplied, uh, following uh, uh, the commentary of St. Augustine, uh, in comparison to the way that a few grains can be multiplied into a massive harvest. The claim is that the matter for the additional bread came to be from various extraneous matter around, uh, drawn from the air, perhaps, and condensed into this bread. Okay, sounds quaint. And yet, what is bread? What is bread made of? Bread is a complicated combination of starches and fats and sugar and water, various complicated organic molecules that are almost entirely various combinations of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and a little bit of nitrogen. A few other things might be mixed in there, depending on the kind of bread. Now, what do we find in our atmosphere? Lots of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. In fact, in the natural order of things, where where does the bread come from? Where does the matter of the bread come from? Where does the, How does the individual grain of wheat become a stock a stock of wheat that then produces more wheat? Most of its mass is drawn from the air, through photosynthesis, absorbing carbon dioxide, combining it with water, through photosynthesis into, into various sugars that then feed and form the structure of the wheat. So the bread we eat comes out of the air. And there's a beautiful way in which you might reflect that the this multiplication of the loaves is the Lord skipping a few steps perhaps, but rearranging the the, the air into what uh, in, into bread to feed the, the, feed the multitudes. Of course, there is no way of knowing for sure how exactly our Lord Jesus Christ, this side of the resurrection, uh, pulled off this miracle. Uh, maybe he just willed instantaneously for everything to be broken down to fundamental particles and rearranged. But the more we understand about the natural order, the better we can understand and speculate on and wonder at the beauty of particular manifestations of divine power in each miracle, and probe the way that God worked with, around, or in spite of nature. When we hear Sister Bernadette witness to the fact of this feeling of warmth throughout her entire body, which if you read other accounts of miraculous healings is a common experience for those who have uh, who have had this. Perhaps you might think simp- that, that it's simply a part of the miracle, a simple uh, um, way in which the, the Lord was letting them know the miracle was happening through tweaking their senses, but perhaps this is some natural after effect of the actual miraculous changes going on in their body as they are healed. There's a way in which there we can uh, we don't need these, these, these extra sort of uh, additional reflections to have a, a wonder at the miracle, and yet they can deepen our appreciation and, and wonder at the glory and beauty of what the Lord is doing in miracles. Now, from the other perspective, from the side of science, how is it that miracles might be an aid or a help to what, is going on in, uh, to, to what goes on in the sciences? Now, we need to be careful here, right? Because it's not, I'm not at all making a claim that because miracles happens, uh, we need to change the very process by which we talk about and do uh, modern, uh, do, uh, um, do science and, and, and our experimentation and study. of I mean, just because it is true that miracles happens, you should still fail your chemistry lab if you invoke miracles to explain why you got a 500% yield in some experiment. Rather, the existence of miracles, like other philosophical or theological truths, the reality of free will, the truth of the Incarnation, can provide a bit of guidance or correction away from conceptions of science and its results that are problematic and, and I would argue, false. For instance, since the advent of quantum mechanics, most scientists don't believe that the physical universe is the perfectly deterministic machine of classical physics, uh, referenced in a certain way by G.K. Chesterton, although some still push for some more nuanced type of such a strong determinism. But if the world were so tightly knit that changing any one piece uh, or trying to remove one piece would require putting back a piece almost exactly like it, or that changing one little piece would necessarily involve changing the pieces around it, and the pieces around that, and the pieces around that, there's an argument to be said that any localized miracle would involve a change in the entire structure of the universe as a whole. In a sense, one miraculous event would lead to a rearrangement of a large portion, if not all, of the universe. Thus, Chesterton's speck of miracle might truly ruin this spotless machine. Now, But even without determinism, there are certain conceptions of the roles of the laws of nature and the laws of physics, certain conceptions of the mathematical structure of that underlying modern science that would imply that a singular miraculous event would lead to a breakdown of the natural order, or at least a, 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 a restarting in some ways of the natural world. For instance, if we uh, overemphasize the role of the wave function in quantum mechanics as some philosophers and physicists try to do, such that reality simply is, a uh, the wave function of quantum mechanics simply is a fluctuation in a nearly, if not actually infinite dimensional space, then any localized miracles on our terms, something that happens right here in front of me or in this person, would actually involve a massive change in this interconnected web of uh, 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 interconnected web in this multi dimensional pl- fluctuation. It would arguably simply be a different wave function, a different universe. That this sort of discontinuous change in any one place would mean a discontinuous change in the whole, a destruction of one universe and, and re- a replacement by another. In a lesser way, this sort of idea comes out in some of the simplistic ways we talk about the laws of physics. For instance, it's sometimes argued that miracles would be a huge problem for the law of conservation of energy. If the law of conservation of energy says that uh, the total amount of energy in the universe is fixed, then if we add a little bit of uh, energy anywhere, suddenly the total amount of energy in the universe is completely different and suddenly the very structure of our universe as a whole, the amount of energy there has changed, arguably leading to a, a different universe with different rules and organization. This is, again, I think an overemphasis on the, the role that the laws and, and the mathematical equations have as this whole structure. Looking at the, looking at, uh, the laws in order as if it is, uh, that, that reality is rooted in the overall pattern rather than any individual thing. If we focus on the law of conservation of energy as this overarching claim about reality, such that it is impossible for energy to be created or destroyed, it seems to be that any miraculous event, which would arguably require at least some sort of tweaking of of energy, uh, would involve a complete change of the structure of of the universe as a whole. On the other hand, if we have a more realistic, I would argue, and historical understanding of what the law of conservation of energy is, that for a contained, uh, that for, for a, um, a a closed system, that uh, uh, in, in a closed in a closed system, energy uh, 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 energy will be will be conserved in any process. That while we can expand that to larger and larger concepts that we don't actually know what it would even mean to talk about the energy of the universe as a whole, or to try to expand that beyond uh, the the scope of which we were able to experiment and observe these things. If we focus instead of the, uh, instead of focusing on the large scale structure of the universe, instead of focusing on the laws as they apply to the universe as a whole, and think of the laws and the, 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 the patterns that we find in science as patterns of the inter, uh, interaction of individual things, of individual objects, of individual creatures, then we see that, the, that a miraculous event in a localized place affecting this thing or that thing will, yes, have repercussions and ramifications on the things around it, and yet will not suddenly create a, a new universe or a different universe or a different structure but that the things around it will simply react to this new presence uh, in, in, uh, in accordance with the natural pattern. And that it is within God's power to maintain this in an orderly, in a beautiful way, such that the miracle makes evident what it is that he is trying to make evident. So now we don't need, uh, now that this pattern of thinking about reality, leaning away from the overarching powers of laws as a whole, and emphasizing instead, the activity of individual objects, the activity of individual natural things is independent of the very question of miracles, uh, a common trend or a a trend in certain subsets of contemporary philosophy of science. Uh, In particular, looking at the work uh, coming from uh, uh, Dr. Nancy Cartwright um, uh, in her work on the dappled universe. For purely natural and rational reasons, people find that view of the universe more compelling than uh, the idea of of science uh, as being descriptions of the interactions of individual objects and individual things, rather than an emphasis on the overarching laws as a whole. And if we have an understanding uh, uh, that we can come to a natural understanding of this, there's a way in which miracles are simply another, another aspect of our confidence, of the fact that that's a better way to think about the natural world, a better way to think about the scientific order, that the laws that we come to know and love describe the patterns by which individual things interact with one another. More broadly, this idea uh, in confidence in miracles gives us a certain humility, uh, in the way that we approach what we're doing in science, we have to. Un- we, uh, it helps us to understand that the possibility of real events beyond the power of scientific e- explanation ensures that we approach our study with that proper respect and, and recognition of how powerful and wonderful modern science is, but also the ways in which we should not expect it to do or to, to do what it's not intended to do. It need not and should not change the fact that we hope to find marvelous order and structure in uh, in nature, but it prevents us from falsely claiming too much. Now, this is not to claim that we're looking for holes in our explanations, but that the very order that we discover itself can be uh, something that points beyond the purely physical, and eventually to the God who created the natural order in the first place. Now, all this talk about miracles in the natural order, uh, there's an important caveat to have in this conversation, uh, uh, it's an important caveat to add to this conversation. When we think about miracles versus the natural order, it might be tempting to think that miracles are the time when God is working, and the natural order is with the time when God is not working. There, is a temp- there can be a temptation, and a very common temptation, to assume that when natural laws, when the natural scientific understanding of the world is working correctly, we don't need to talk about God, and God is nowhere to be seen. For Aquinas, this is completely backwards. That there is absolutely nothing that happens that is outside of the power of God's activity. That the very order and structure that we find in nature, the beauty that we love about the, the order and structure of nature requires and calls out for an explanation and is uh, that is, it is created and maintained through the constant activity of God uh, in this natural order. There is a way in which uh, we, we, can, we can flip our understanding of the relationship between miracles and God's power. For humans, we look at a miracle, and we presume this miracle must be some absurdly difficult thing to pull off. We understand the natural world, we understand the physical world, and we're able to use and, and manipulate it to, for our ends and for our purposes. When we see something like the miraculous healing of St. Bernadette, or or sister Bernadette, uh, some other miraculous healing, or uh, a, a miracle like the multiplication of loaves and fishes, to us, it seems difficult and impossible because, in, because for us, by our powers, by what we know of nature, it is impossible. But for God, it's actually the reverse. The miracle is actually easier for God than the natural order. God, in fact, in a certain sense, has to constrain his power and limit the way he acts in the way that he maintains and uh, orders the natural world. God has deigned to create the natural world with a particular order. And and for most of, uh, for for the the, the normal ordering of that, and normal working out of that natural order, God works through the limits he has imposed in that natural world. That he uses secondary causality, that he uses natural instruments to bring about his designs. He uses the natural processes of nature, the natural human interactions of our lives, to bring about what he intends by his divine providence. That God limits himself in some ways by the way that he uses these natural things in the normal ordering, uh, 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 in the, normal, uh, the normal, in normal activity. It is in a miracle that God is actually doing things in the easy way. He's, God is doing it on its own without needing to restrain himself or limit himself to using secondary causes. There's a way in which the miracle is, in fact, easier for God than the normal order of things. It's easier for God to simply heal Sister Bernadette than to allow the natural processes of medical care to go, go on. So there's a way in which our uh, our love and our reflection on the natural order, uh, our, our love and reflection on, the, on miracles help us to understand, uh, the, uh, or should, should not um, cause us to limit, uh, uh, to, to, to cordon off God's activity. That miracles are a clear sign of God's activity in the world. Miracles are a clear sign of God's uh, power acting in the world. But they are not the only place or only time that God acts. God is acting in and through every natural event. God is acting in and through every every activity and every uh, uh, encounter of our lives. And yet, there are times that Aquinas, as Aquinas argues, that God uses miracles to go beyond uh, and to make clear certain things that God wants to make clear to us. That God uses miracles. Um, uh, not not because he needs to step in and fix things, not because uh, he is, uh, but but in order to reveal something about himself, reveal something about, and to uh, help us uh, to, to 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 lead to our, uh, our our to our salvation. It is in, uh, interesting to note that Sister Bernadette herself, while she did go on this pilgrimage to Lords while she did know of the power of uh, the, the, the shrine at Lourdes and the history of the miracles there, while she had been suffering with her debilitating illness for, for decades, did not go to Lords in order to be cured, did not go to Lords seeking uh, a cure and asking God for a miracle. She went asking God for the, the, the grace to be able to bear her trials with patience and to bear her sufferings with, uh, with humility. And yet the Lord has used her and used her healing, like he has used the healings of so many other people for their own salvation and the salvation of others, to make known his power and to reveal the truths of his, uh, of, uh, of his love and care for us in the world. And so uh, in conclusion, I just want to uh, in, uh, I want to say that when we consider the truths of a miracle, when we consider the truths of miracles in the context of modern science. They are not something that we need to shy away from. Miracles are not something that we need to uh, pretend and and avoid in conversation. They may not be, uh, we we need not include them in every conversation about the natural world, but they are a powerful support to our understanding of who God is and how he acts in the world. That the recognition of the reality of miracles helps us to understand and and undergird our, uh, our understanding of the natural order that the power of of God's activity uh, in in miracles reveals more deeply the love he has in uh, establishing the the natural order of the physical world and the natural processes by which the world comes about. And to reflect that, uh, at times the Lord uh, is able to use the natural order, to use the providential order of uh, the, the the natural world and our human interactions to bring about his, uh, 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 to, to bring about his will uh, and to bring about our good. And yet there are times where in his love he deigns to go beyond that, to break in and open our minds to his love and his power in a way that is, at least for those who witness it, undeniable.